Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. With this series, again, like I said, we were talking about some of our favorite things about summer and drawing spiritual principles from them. And, uh, and last week we talked about school being out. We love the freedom that school being out provides us because it means, hey, we can do a lot of things that we don't normally get to do during the school year. School year is very regimented, it's very scheduled, but summertime's very free. And so we said, what, what's the spiritual principle here? And we all decided we, we've got this freedom in Christ that we have. And with school being out, the idea is that, hey, your education process is over, right? It's all done. You, you, you already know what you need to do. Now it's time to go live it out. And that's what happens when we graduate from school or from, from college. School's out. It's time to live it. And so we said, how do we live out this freedom that we have in Christ? And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I'd encourage you to download the app, listen to it on there, or you can access the podcast lots of different ways from our website as well. But uh, this week, we are going to talk about family vacation. How many of you guys loved, either, either now or growing up, love your family vacations? Anybody here like those? Fantastic. No, no. Some people say, no, I did not enjoy that. That's okay. How many of you guys, if you went on vacation, you flew to your destination. Let's see. I'm going to need some participation here. Got some, there's, oh, there's a couple people out there. All right. So, so, so that maybe if you went to a destination, how many of you guys drove? Ah, that's the majority of you there. Why? Because driving is cheap, right? And if you've got a big family, driving them like me, i got five people. That is expensive to pay for them. And when my kids were younger, you've got to pay for those seats whether they sit in them or not. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so we don't, we don't pay to fly anywhere. We drive everywhere. Well, vacations uh, are, are my favorite. Now, driving is okay, and that's what we typically do, but how many of you guys, when you go on vacation, your, your vacation is really structured? Like, you have to be here at a certain time, and you got to get this many things done while you're on vacation. Anybody here have or like those kind of vacations? Oh, so there's a few of you that had that forced on you. See, how many of you guys like vacations where you got no plans, you have nothing to do, you're just going to let, there you go, that, that's it right there. Typically, I'm that kind of guy. I really enjoy vacation where we've got no plans, everything's easy breezy like you know I don't need to think about anything I don't need to look at my calendar I don't want to look at a schedule I don't want to see what time something closes if it closed if it's closed oh okay it's good we'll find something else and typically our plans are like that our vacations usually spent on the beach every year but this year we decided to go to to Washington DC and that that was all go 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 time schedules we had to be here at this time we had to see that many things let me tell you something at the end of that vacation I needed a vacation you know what I'm talking about I was wore out and, uh, and so there's a, there's a difference there, but there's, there's a lot of freedom that comes from having no plans. But every year we go on vacation, we always drive, and D.C. was no different. And, and every year, every time without fail, we begin to, count, to encounter some relational issues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you get in the car and you go on a road trip, there are some relational struggles that come up. Like as soon as we get in our car and we start driving, it is like this joke. It's a tradition. As soon as I throw the car in reverse, one of my kids pipes up and says, Dad... Yes. Are we there yet? <laughs> no, we are not there yet. And that continues all the way down the road until I'm red in the face and can't see straight. And that's just a lot of fun for my kids. But, but they like to do this. And I am also one of these guys, when we go on vacation, because we're going to take a road trip, I'm not in any kind of hurry to leave. And Shanda's like, we need to leave at this time. And usually it's the opposite way. Like I'm the one pushing her to get out the door. But vacation, buddy, I'm just like, whatever. 
And conflict happens. We get in fights about why, why aren't you ready to go? I can't believe I packed yesterday. I'm ready to go and everything's done. And you're just like not even ready. Nope, I'm not. I'm on vacation because vacation happens the moment I clock out. You know what I'm saying? Her vacation doesn't begin for her until she gets to vacation. So she is a woman on a mission. You know what I mean? And so there's this conflict between us. And at some point, as we're driving on our trip to go to vacation, the movies that the kids are watching or the games that they're playing on their iPads or iPhones, which my kids have both, their batteries die or they are tired of playing with them. And, and, and what begins to happen? They start to argue and bicker and she said this and he said that and they start to fight. I mean, like, look, honestly, kids have no idea how difficult it was to be on a road trip at my, you know, as a little kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the game we got to play was the quiet game. Who could be quiet the longest? You know what I'm saying? That was the game. And there was a reward for that. And I, I could win until my brother hit me and I'd make noise <laughs> and I would lose. We'd play silly games. Like if you said, a, you said a word that began with the letter B, somebody, everybody in the car would start wailing on you. And I wasn't really smart. I'd keep playing this game and but I'd start getting hit, and the thing is, is I'd just giggle. I'd just start laughing. It was hurting really bad, but I would just laugh, and I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't speak, and I couldn't say the magic word, which for whatever reason was lettuce, and that would get us out of the hitting. Nobody else play this stupid game when they were kids? Say, yeah, I think they call it bogeys or something like that. I don't know. They don't understand that the struggle was real, man. Like when I, had, I did have a video game system, but it was a Game Boy, for real. And you couldn't play this game if it was nighttime, right? Because if it was dark outside... You couldn't even see the screen. Now, you could turn the overhead light on, but my dad would say, he can't see in his mirror if you have the light on. So we traveled at night. You couldn't see anything. And then I was saved. Oh, Game Boy realized there were people like me who traveled at night. They created this little strap-on light that went over top of it. Even magnified the screen, made it bigger for you, right? It was incredible. My life was changed. But up until that point, the game that I got to play was like, you know, take the seat and rub your hand on the seat and then draw lines on it. You know what I'm saying? And then you get mad because your brother would go, boom, and just like wipe off your little, your little design you were doing, which is only a hatch, like a crisscross thing. But man, you worked hard at that. Struggle was real, man. My kids have no idea what that's like. But as soon as, as, soon as the movies have been watched and the games have been played, what happens? Co- conflict starts, Right? And as soon as the games, they they don't play the games anymore, the kid who's been sick for the last hour didn't say anything about it because he was amused and wasn't thinking anything about it. Now he's all of a sudden sick and threatening to puke all over the place. And you're like, you know what, if you're going to spew, spew in this or grab your little backpack or the blanket you brought, you can puke in that. Because Shanda won't let nobody stop. She is on. We are going. I'm just kidding, baby. I love you. She'll let you stop if you've got to puke. But chaos breaks out in that back seat, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Come on, your families, you drive, your kid. Chaos breaks out in the back seat. Either you were part of the chaos or you have kids today and you understand what I'm talking about with the chaos. To me, I feel like the prophet Habakkuk when we go on family vacation. Now, if you need a Bible today, we would love to give you one. Just shoot your hand in the air. We'll bless you with one. It's our gift to you. But we'll be in Habakkuk for just a second. And he says this, he says, must I forever see these evil deeds why must I watch all this misery in my rearview mirror? That was... Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Now, family vacation brings a bunch of people together who love each other generally and takes them to the edge of insanity, I think, right? And we get on each other's last nerve, and all of it leads to what, us, what most of us don't deal with correctly, and that's conflict. So you can guess what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about conflict. 
because I think that the way we handle it could be done better. I think that if we were being honest about it, we all fail at handling conflict well in our lives because there are crazy people in this world, and, and let's be honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we're sometimes the crazy people ourselves, and, but on a regular basis, we deal with conflict. And, and so let's identify some of the unhealthy ways that we deal with conflict today. And as we do, as I go through these, I know that you're going to see yourself. You're going to say, yeah, that's me. I'm going to go to the next one. You're going to say, yep, that's me. That's all the same person. It's all you. You are all these complex, unhealthy things bound into one because I know I found myself in every single one of those categories. So here we go. The very first person, the the unhealthy way they deal with conflict is, the first thing they do is dominate it. Dominate it. This tends to be like the alpha male or the alpha female kind of thing, right? We say, it's my way or the highway. It's this way because I said so. Or we... We tend to come at conflict, conflict full force, and we say, end of discussion, or, or you can get out and walk. Anybody ever said that one before? Am I, the, am I the only one? My dad my parents said that to me one time, and I said, okay, threw open the car door, got out, and walked home. It was just, I was just down in the corner. I mean, it wasn't like a serious thing, but conflict happens soon. Or maybe you're one of those guys in the car where you want to dominate. The way you dominate it is like this, you know, you swing him backwards. You don't care who you hit, you're just hitting somebody. And if that's not you, maybe the way you dominate it is because you've got this look and all you do is reach up to the rear view mirror and you adjust it so you know they can see your face and you've got this look in that rear view mirror that as soon as they see it, they are done. Mom is going to kill me. Dad is going to kill me when we pull over. But you are dominators and the reason they respond that way is because they know that you're about to lose your ever-loving mind. You know what I mean? Because dominators are typically overreactors. We get super excited and we say things we don't mean and we, you're grounded for a month. And then, you know, like an hour after we've thought about it, we're like, we're just kidding. Here you go. You can have it back. I am so sorry. Right? You know, we're we're overreactors and and the people that we're in conflict with, as an overreactor, they respond to us and they're just like, whoa, hey, back down for a minute. You, You win. Right? So maybe, maybe you're a dominated, or maybe you're the ignore it kind of person. And this is where a lot of you wind up, I think, because we, we say that well, if I ignore it, it'll just go away. You know, time changes all things, some maturity. Let's just, let's just ignore it. Give them time to think about it. It'll be fine. But how many of you know that when you ignore it, it, it doesn't ever get better? It always gets worse. Some of you that are the ignore it kind of people wish when you go on family vacations, or maybe if you're just taking a drive down the street, that no matter what car you had, you had one of those limo glasses like installed, you know what I mean? So conflict starts in the back seat and you just push a button and it raises up. <laughs> conflict gone. Not even dealing with it anymore. But let's be honest, you know, you know that it, when you ignore it, it, it gets worse. Others of you, you like to whine about conflict when it comes into your life. You complain about it, thinking that if you do it loud enough or long enough, that maybe you'll get your way. I see this oftentimes. This is little kids, right? Little kids are in the store and they want something, right? They want something. Mom and dad want the opposite thing. Like they want some candy or they want a toy. And mom and dad are ready to check out and get out. Or maybe they don't have the money to buy it. The answer is no. Either way, the kid's not getting what he wants. And so he starts whining. And you can hear it like a siren from a fire engine coming down the street. It starts off really small. You know what I'm saying? Do I need to go further? You get it. And I'm standing in the checkout lounge. You don't have to identify yourself if you're with me. But I hear that sound, and I turn and look over at the kid, and I'll, I'll, I feel like inside I want to say to the parent, do you want me to spank him for you? Like, you know, I mean, I know I don't say that. I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying, but I, like, I think it in my head. And it's a dangerous place up here. And I look around, and I think I'm like the only one because everybody else has got popcorn. They just watch them. You know what I mean? It becomes a spectator sport. <laughs> 
And the mom, I don't know, whatever, for whatever reason, she has the ability to ignore it because she understands how her child cries, you know. She understands that that's not a hurt cry. I can just, she can just turn the switch off and she doesn't hear it anymore. <laughs> Maybe you're not one of those screaming, pitch-a-fit kind of kids, but if you're, if you're a whine about it, it's possible that you're, you're more, more likely to be the passive-aggressive kind of whiner, right? It's like you've got something to say, but not to the person you have conflict with, right? You've got some, something you're going to say, and you're going to say all that's in your heart, but you're going to say it to someone else, right? It's this passive-aggressive attitude. You won't say it to the person that you're talking to or that you have the issue with. Or if you do say something to the person you have conflict with, it's usually in this, in this backhanded kind of way where it becomes not about what you said, it's how you said it, you know what I mean? And then, and then the, the battle just continues. It's this conflict. Others of you, you're white flaggers. I think this is how very, so many American parents are today. They'll not ignore it. Ignoring something is one thing, but white flagging, giving up, giving in is a whole other thing. Saying, I surrender, I give in. Whatever it is you want. You're going to whine about it, you're going to complain about it. I, I give up. You often find dominators and white flaggers paired together. And if they're not, they learn to be when you deal with dominators because dominators come at something full force and the white flaggers learn that if they don't just give in and say, you're right, you're right, I'm wrong, it, it's okay, I'm sorry, whatever you say, these are, these are white flaggers. They, they want peace. Or worse yet, the one that I hate and the one that I get from my wife sometimes is complete silence. Like, I am lit and we are having conflict and she just goes silent. And you know one more thing. I'm talking to a blank face and I hate that because I want, I want, I want the fight. I'm not perfect, people. <laughs> Lighten up. And I know you're not either. That's why I feel comfortable telling you. But white flaggers don't want to engage in conflict. They just give in. And I think this is very, very different than the ignore it thing. Because I'm being honest with you, we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. When we ignore things or we white flag it, we are just giving in. We are not being peacemakers, pursuing peace at all costs with each other. We are just letting it continue to happen. You give at every turn to make peace. You become the doormat for everyone else. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy for you. And then this is the, the last one. This is a sad spirit that I think has permeated our culture today. And it's when you get engaged in conflict, you end it. You end it. You are the person who says, you know what? This relationship is disposable. This conflict is not worth working out. You are essentially saying, this, this is it. I'm out. And you play that card every time you get the opportunity. You say, if you don't do this, I'm out. If you don't get your act together, I'm out. And you're, the, you're that person that needs to end it. And, and, and while I think this is sad in our marriages and our relationships, I think it's even more sad when it's family. When they've done something, you're like, I'm out. I want nothing to do with you. I'm out. And you end that relationship. I mean, your blood, that should say something for it. And I think it's really sad. I, I call these people these, the ones that... that tend to like to end it. I call them the can't eveners. Because on the scale of one to even, they can't. They're done. They're out. <laughs> I, and I think it's a little extreme, but it's very unhealthy. And in the end, where does this mentality come from? This idea that I, I can just end it. Where does it come from? Well, the grass is always greener on the other side. That's where it comes from. 
We think we can have it better somewhere else, that somebody else is not going to give us any trouble. Some other relationship is going to be better. And so we end this one in pursuit of the perfect relationship for us. But how many of you know when the, the, the grass is greener on the other side and the water bill is also higher over there? Amen? The grass is greener because they watered it. The grass is greener because they invested time rooting out the weeds and the things that are destroying the grass. In other words, their relationships are better because they're working on it. The things in their lives are going well because they're investing time into it. If you want the, gra- the green grass, just do what they do. You don't have to go over there and be with them. Figure that kind of stuff out. But you'll never have greener grass if your response to conflict is to end it. So how do we respond to conflict in a healthy way? Those are the unhealthy ways. What do we do? Well, I tell you the answer is really quite simple. So simple, in fact, that when I share it with you, my fear for you is that you'll overlook it. That you'll say, no, that couldn't be it. That's, that's too easy, Aaron. But I'm telling you that if you'll listen to this today, if you'll take this simple idea, which is very simple in theory and so difficult to do, if you'll listen today and learn from it, I believe that God can change your life. My other fear for you today is that there's those of you who are going to hear the solution and you're going to be offended. You're going to be upset by what I have to say and so you're going to shut me down immediately because I'm going to tell it to you here in just a second. You're going to shut me off and you're not going to listen to anything else I have to say. And my request to you is hang in there with me. If you're one of those that are offended by what I have to say, hang in there with me till the end of the service. If you want to walk out of here offended, know that that will be your choice. And I will love you regardless. And so does Jesus. However, I am asking you, if you are offended, stay with me. Having said that, let's pray before we jump in. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for the ability to gather today, today in a free country. Thank you for this blessing. We, we, we take it for granted far too often. So thank you, God. We ask that you be here among us today. Bless our hearts, Lord. Open our minds and our hearts to receive from you today, Lord. Teach us about conflict and how to handle it in a way that would honor you. And Lord, as always, bless the Buckeyes and make sure Braxton Miller is a great receiver. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless the Buckeyes. Hmm. Some of you don't know that he's going to be a wide receiver, I think, right? Is that what you all think is going to happen with Braxton? Any of you all know who I'm talking about? Fantastic. All right. The simple principle in how we handle conflict in a healthy way comes from the book of James. And uh, what's incredible about this particular book in the Bible is that we always think that the book of James was written by the disciple James. And it's not. It was actually written by Jesus' half-brother James. And Jesus' half-brother James is testifying to the lordship of Christ. Now, how many of you know that if you can convince your brother of your lordship and, and you being the Messiah, you probably is the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? If you got that testimony, you got your family on board, yeah, he's the son of God, then, then you're the real deal. And so James, James of course, is, has written this, and, and the way that we handle our conflict uh, is important. He wrote all about it. Here's what he has to say about the blame game, okay? James 4.1, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, when you think about this, whether you're out on vacation or you're at home or you're at a job or you're at your church, you know, the answer, you know what the answer is. What, what's the cause of your conflicts and your fights? And most of you, included me, would answer this. They are. It's the person sitting next to me. They're the cause of all the fights and all the quarrels that we have. Don't you understand? It's when they do this and when they say that or when they go there or they don't do this. They are the cause of the problems. It's easy for us to answer. But let me tell you this, that one of the things I've learned is that you will never find happiness or find your way to happiness using the blame game. 
For you to point your finger and blame somebody else will never lead you to the happiness that you desire. Because I think that's what we do. We blame others for the reason that we're upset. We allow them to control us. And so and that, that conflict, we figure if, if we just fix them, that conflict will go away. If they weren't broken that way, we wouldn't fight. <laughs> but that's, but that's, not the, that, that's not the truth. The, the next line in that verse tells us this isn't so. It says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, the conflict doesn't start with the other person. The conflict starts within us. Ouch. Y'all want me to tell another joke and go back to being funny? <laughs> All right. Look, I, I'm not downplaying the fact that there are crazy people in this world who do crazy things that are very hurtful f- to you. I, I get that. And you're probably related to all of them, like I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are crazy people out there. I'm not downplaying that. But let's be honest about what it is saying. My brother's sitting over there going, yep, he's related to the crazies. Yep. What is it saying? He's saying that the common denominator in every single one of our fights, what is the common denominator? It's you. It's me. Every single fight that you've ever had, every conflict that you've been a part of in your entire life, the common denominator is you. Every single one of them. That means that if you are fighting with everybody at every turn, it is probably not them. It's you. You are the source of the problem. That's what James is saying. The conflict starts right here. And we, individually, are that common factor to every conflict. So he continues on. He goes a bit deeper. He says, you want something, but don't get it. So every argument, every conflict, think through your life. Take inventory. Think about the people that you're arguing with, you're fighting with, you have conflict with right now. The people that you are currently engaged in conflict with is because you want something and don't have it. You have an unmet expectation in that relationship. We want peace and quiet on our way to vacation, right? Kids aren't giving it to us. Conflict. We want Chipotle for dinner when everybody else wants Taco Bell. Conflict. (laughs) We want, we want, we want. And all these things start from within us. Conflict when we don't get what we want. He goes on and keeps saying, he says, you kill and covet because you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. So many of you are saying, all right, Aaron, you had me at this point. I I was bought in a little bit. Maybe it is me. Maybe I am the problem, but I've never killed anybody. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. The Bible says that if you hate your brother, in 1 John 3.15, that anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. How did he get there? Well, what are we called to as Christians? We are called to love. Love is a selfless act. Conflict happens because of a selfish desire. So if we're on the opposite end of selflessness by being selfish, we're on the opposite end of love, aren't we? We're at hate. And when you're acting in a way that, that you're demonstrating and displaying hate to anyone, the Bible calls you a murderer. It says you are just like a murderer. And you know that mo- no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I know this is not a popular message. I know this is not a popular thing for you to say, well, Aaron, can't you preach something happy? Well, You'll get happy if you'll listen to this. I guarantee it. You may not be happy now. You want to resolve some of the conflict? Let's dive, some deep, when we, let's dive a little deeper. When we live a life that is riddled with conflict, we are murderers. We are killing relationships over our selfish desires. And we do th- so through our quarrels and our fights. And what's crazy is we don't just do this in the heat of the moment, do we, right? Because sometimes conflict is thrust upon us. 
We didn't mean for it to happen. We weren't even planning on it. It just kind of happens. We lose our minds and we get involved in the conflict. But other times, there is conflict that you are heading into and you are planning and preparing for war. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm not the only one who starts pacing. I start pacing and I start talking to the air. I'm having a conversation with somebody that isn't there. You know what I mean? Or I start talking to a chair and another thing, you did this. You know what I'm imagining every scenario and how they were going to come back and I'm planning my comebacks and my zingers and I'm carefully crafting words that would tear them down and win the fight. Am I the only crazy person in here? Or maybe you're somebody who looks in a mirror because you want to see how mean your face looks when you say something, you know? Oh, did I just take it to another level? I apologize. It's awkward. But we kill with our words, and we say things that destroy people's lives, all because we have these desires. We want something, and it's raging inside of us. So here's what we have to do. I honestly believe that preachers have been preaching a false gospel, and that we have bought into this this prosperity belief that God wants everything in our lives to be good. I think think that, that I believe God wants us to live blessed, but I believe that God will allow things to happen in our lives that will challenge us, like conflict. I believe that God will use things, while I don't believe he sends the conflict in your life, I believe that he will use things like conflict to change us and to cause us to grow. Because that's the way I believe that God wants us to be blessed. Relationships will never be perfect. We will never have everything that we want. But for whatever reason, we we continue to pursue these things. And in that pursuit, it always leads to our destruction. In doing so, we, we put unhealthy pressure on the people in our lives to give us the things that we desire. And when we do that, conflict comes because all fights are the result of unmet, unmet expectations. And what's crazy is, is that oftentimes these unrealistic expectations, or these ex- expectations can be unrealistic because we're looking for people to fulfill something that God has intended to fill in your life. The last part of that verse speaks to this and says, you do not have because you do not ask God. The conflict in our relationship is always about us. We are seeking satisfaction in all of the wrong places. We all have conflict and we lose our minds when we encounter it and we all handle it wrong. So here's a thought. What if before we engaged in conflict, we took a moment, we pressed pause? What if before we sent that text message, before we sent the carefully crafted email, before we said those words that we would regret, apologize for, and seek forgiveness for, what if we paused? What if we took a moment to reflect, maybe even to pray? How would that conflict resolve? What would it look like if you did that, if you were willing to submit to those kind of things? I'll tell you what it would look like. God would take the edge off. Your anger would dissipate. You'd speak with wisdom. You'd speak with kindness, and that conflict would likely resolve in a healthy way. And so I've got a few pointers on how we do that, and ultimately how we're to vacation and live our lives in peace. First thing we need to do in order to have this, to have peace in the middle of the conflicts, is we need to look within myself. Look within yourself. We have to challenge ourselves to do this because this isn't our natural tendency, is it? Whenever there's a conflict, we're looking at them. They're the cause of our issue. But truly, if we were to look inside ourselves, we would see the issue. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 3 through 4, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? 
Look, we cause a lot of damage in other people's lives because we are focused on their issues instead of our own. Jesus is saying, how dare you spend any time talking to them about their issue when it's a speck compared to the plank that's in your own eye? This requires humility for us to look at ourselves and say, God, I'm not sure what it is, but would you show me what that issue is? Would you show me why I'm feeling conflicted inside or why this conflict exists? Would you show me what's, what's going on in me? But here's what we do, I think, on a regular basis. We want other people to judge us based on the intentions of our heart, right? Like, I hope you hear my heart in this. I, I didn't mean to do that. We can, we can back down and say, I intended to do good, but I didn't. We want people to judge us based on our heart and not our intention or, or on, and not on our actions. But when it comes to people, we, we want to judge them on their actions. As soon as they do something, we ascribe like the worst possible thing to them and say, they're meant to do that. They intentionally did that and we, conflict. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, you know what? They, they probably didn't mean to do this. I know that person and I know their heart's different than that. We don't give them that benefit of doubt. We immediately assign the worst to them. And we judge others by their actions instead of by their hearts, the way we would want to be judged. We hold them to a higher standard. But we need to take an honest look at ourselves first. And I think if we would do that, if we would humble ourselves, then we would have a lot less conflict. Second thing we need to do is listen to God first. Once we see if there's something going on within us, what is the issue within us? We need to go to God before we go to people. What does that look like? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the problem with us. We see prayer as a last-ditch effort. My friend Joe Sutphin talk, laughs and he says, We're all silly, aren't we? We're all silly. We, 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 we go through our issue and then say, well, all we can do now is pray. What do you mean all you can do now is pray? That's silly. Prayer is our highest appeal, not our last ditch effort. But oftentimes, what do we do? Conflict comes and we run straight at it and we do everything that we can do. And then when we made it a bigger mess, we look at God and say, all right, God, well, if you can do anything with this, let's see it. Let's go. But instead, we ought to appeal to him first and say, what would you have me do? Can you work in me? Can you work in them? Can you bring peace to this situation? If we go to him first, we give him that opportunity. You can choose to, if you want to, to walk through some of the torment of the worry and the anxiety that comes with conflict. You can choose to walk through it if you want to, but that's not God's best for you. He says here, if you'll go to him, you don't have to be anxious about anything. He'll give you a peace that you'll have right through the middle of your storm. He didn't say he'd make it go away. He said you can have peace. Who doesn't want peace in the middle of a storm? Who doesn't want to have peace in their hearts so they don't have to worry and they don't have to be anxious? So you choose. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. James 1, 19 says it this way, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I believe that's true. If we would be slow to speak, quick to listen, we would have more understanding. We would take that time maybe to hear God and to hear His heart in it, to hear what's actually going on, and we could diffuse many conflicts that are in our lives. But that isn't us. It isn't me. I'm quick to lash out. I'm quick to say things. I'm a fireball. I am. And not the kind that Pitbull pit sings about. I'm a fireball. I will yell and say things that I will regret later. 
Because our natural tendency is to be quick to speak. We don't listen. And we're quick to anger. But if we would listen to God, I believe that we would have peace on all sides. The third thing we need to do is learn what is God doing in me? This is an important lesson for us. When we're in the middle of conflict, it is possible that we were there to learn something. Right? I think we have to figure out what God is doing on the inside of us because as as I said before, I believe that He will use conflict to challenge us and change us if we will submit to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. If you're going to go into conflict and keep handling the unhealthy ways that that you've been handling it, let me, get, let me tell you something. You're probably going to stay in that cycle the rest of your life until you finally learn the lesson that God has, God has allowed that conflict into your life. I don't think he brings it to you, but I know he'll use it. I remember I had a job I was working at. I, I worked there for four years, and man, I remember coming home and just hating my job. And I remember applying for other jobs. I remember for interviewing for other jobs, and everything was yes, 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 and then the door would close in my face. And I had to stay at that job that I hated. And I told my wife, after nearly four years of being there, I said, man... I think I need to start praying and asking God what he's trying to teach me here. And let me tell you something. When I did that, all the other doors started open. God started teaching me. I humbled myself. That's what we need to do. God, what are you trying to teach me in the middle of this? Otherwise, you're just going to stay in that cycle. Some of you, you're, you're being driven nuts. And you're like, why do I keep encountering these kind of people? Well, there's a reason. There's a lesson you're supposed to learn here, guys. Dive in on it. Allow God to work in you and to challenge you. Your greatest spiritual growth may be a result of you submitting to what he's trying to teach you. God wants greater things for you. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. That's conflict, right? We're going through some tough stuff. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test... Uh, test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. Wow, that sounds like something I want to be a part of. How about you? Do you want to be a part of what God is doing in your life and where he wants to take you and where he wants to challenge you? We have to let him work on the inside of us and we have to learn to trust him and ask him to do something in us and teach us in the midst of our conflict. The last thing we need to do is lean on God instead of people. We need to lean on God instead of people. You know, once we look inside of ourselves to see what the issue is, what is the unmet desire, the unmet expectation inside of me? Once we take a moment to pray and listen to God, and we take the time to figure out what, it, what is he trying to teach me, when we submit ourselves to those things, it'll be so easy to stop leaning on people for what we need. Because that's where the conflict comes from, Right? What we desire, I expect my wife to provide, or I expect my children to provide. What I desire, what I really need inside, I'm looking elsewhere for it. Maybe it's in a substance, maybe it's in a bottle. We're looking everywhere, except but where we should be looking. And if we're willing to do those first three things, we can lean our entire personality on Christ, which is what God is here for. He wants us to lean on Him. Isn't it silly that we have all these expectations and we place them on somebody as powerless and finite as a human being? And yet all of our needs and everything that we want is wrapped up in God. And we can place those needs and place those desires on Him because He is infinite and He has all the power. To Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, this is the God I'm talking about. And yet we place our desires in man. You see the flaw in what we're doing? 
Look, the, the purpose and the point in leaning on God is to walk into a relationship and need nothing from them. Now, I don't mean that you're independent, but I don't need from you, I don't need to, I don't have to have my needs met in you. They are met in Him. And what happens when conflict arises at that point, you are able to shift your perspective. You're able to change how you think and how you approach things. Because when your entire leaning and your personality is on Christ, when all of your needs are met in Him, you can step back and go, okay, what do they need right now? You can stop approaching conflict with emotion and start approaching it with logic. What's happening in their life? What baggage are they carrying? Who hurt them in that way? Why are they responding this way? Why are they yelling? What can I give them? Oh, that's peace. You become a carrier of peace. You have peace yourself. And they have peace because you bring it. When you know how somebody's broken, when you realize that there is something within them that is broken just like it is in me, you know how to love them. You know how to pray for them. You know how to serve them. To me, that sounds like Jesus. And that's where we have to be. We have to lean all that we are on Him. Psalms 33, 22 says, Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Isn't that beautiful? Can we truly say that our hope is in Him alone? I know that it'll take some work. I know that it's going to take prayer. It will take us allowing Him to work in us through our conflict. But I believe that as a church, I believe that as an individual, I, I can be more like Jesus in this way. And I believe that you can be too. Let's pray. Right now, there are those of you in this room that you say, conflict, Aaron, is all around me. It's in my relationships. It's in my job. It's in my parenting. It's in my marriage in my finances, my direction in life. Aaron, I'm surrounded by conflict. I have been looking everywhere to have my needs met. Today, I want to place my hope and my trust in God where it was intended to be. I want to begin my journey in having my needs met in Him and all that He provided for me through Christ Jesus. If that's you and you're here today and you say, you know, Aaron, I, I've, maybe I've committed myself to Christ in the past or I've walked away or, or maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before and today is your day, your moment to have peace, forgiveness, freedom from your shame, freedom from your past. If that's you and you're here today, would you shoot your hand in the air? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you up. I just want to know, hey, Aaron, that's me. Would you shoot your hand up? Do it now. Thank you. I, I appreciate that honesty. I'd ask that you pray this prayer with me. You can do it out loud or in your heart, however you, however you choose, but you need to mean it. It's a simple prayer that acknowledges Jesus' lordship in your life. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came and you died for me and that you rose from the dead so that I might be forgiven, set free from my past and that I might have peace. Give me your Holy Spirit and teach me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for the rest of the congregation. I pray, God, for every heart that is here that you have pricked, Lord, that you have spoken to and said, hey, are you listening? 
God, I pray that you would help us to be humble and to look within ourselves when we encounter conflict. Lord, to give us the discipline we will need to listen to you first. And God, as we go through it, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what it is you need to teach us and what you are doing in us. And Lord, give us the wisdom we need to lean on you instead of on people, to find all of our needs met in you today. God, we need your strength. We need your power to do this. We need you to transform us. We believe that you can do it. And I pray and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.